Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey there everyone, welcome back. Today's Adaptifier is Rebecca Torres from the USA. Rebecca was paralyzed in a car accident when she was 13 years old. Man, there's some lessons to be shared there. She is an accomplished fashion designer and theater artist, and also the founder of Backbones, an amazing organization that offers peer support for those with paralysis and also disability. She is an advocate and artist a wonderful person, and I'm really looking forward to diving into Rebecca's story today. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. I am happy to be joining you today. Thank you. Hey, so where um, whereabouts um, are you now, Rebecca? And um, have you always lived in um, in Chicago? Um, no, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago um, and lived here until about college time and then I moved to Arizona and lived there for a few years, moved back to Chicago and then moved to Oregon for another chunk of years and then moved back to Chicago again and I have been here now for about five years. I keep coming back because my family's here. I understand, I understand. So uh, for the for the listeners out there, tell us a little bit about um, about your childhood. What was uh, what was it like growing up um, as as Rebecca Torres? My childhood, I have five siblings, so there's six of us: three boys, three girls. Um, and early, um, I think I was about six years old when one of my aunts passed away, and her children came to live with us as well. Um, so our house was full of a bunch of kids. We were 10 kids in my house. Um, and I don't know how my parents did it, but, um, you know, we all had a really good time cause we were all around the same age and we were always getting ourselves into trouble and doing all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but yeah, at the age of 13, um, I was injured at the age of 13. So I was pretty young. Um, but yeah, things, you know, although there was a lot of changes, um, you know, a lot of stuff didn't change too. My parents continued to treat me like the rest of the kids and, you know, expecting the same as everyone else too. Well, I, I, I kind of have an image actually last night with my family, we, we watched, uh, the Goonies, you know, an old, eighties uh, TV, um, uh-huh. movie and it, it looked you know, there was six, five or six kids, and they were all just on these adventures. And I imagine ten would have been, would have been a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> really cool. Um, so, when you were thirteen, what what happened? What happened? And 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 tell us about how how did you get through that? Um, about my injury. Yeah. How my injury happened. Yeah. We were on a family vacation in Mexico. So every every winter, uh, we would go. We would actually drive because um, flying with so many kids was expensive. So we would drive from Chicago to Guadalajara, Mexico, which is central Mexico, to visit my grandmother and other family. And um, on our way back that year, it was in 1994, 
um, December, right before it, it happened on New Year's, and we were um, headed back to Chicago, and there there was a semi truck that was passing another vehicle, but drive both driving in our direction. So it was either we hit the the semi head on or we went off the road and so we went off the road and it was uh some gravel uh, lost control of the vehicle um and i was in the back sleeping um not wearing a seatbelt. so um we we rolled over i think about four times and um when i woke up um i i i'm imagine i imagine i must have hit my head on the top of the of the vehicle and that's how i broke my neck at c5 through seven Holy moly. Were there any other injuries, you know, with other, my, other people in the car? Yeah, um, not as severe as mine, um, but my brother went through the front windshield and, and cut up his face pretty badly, um, and so did my mother and also injured her hip and other body parts. My, my father injured his shoulder. So, yeah, they, my wow. brother and mother have two large scars on, on their faces from their injury. It sounds like you were all incredibly lucky to even survive. Yeah, we are very thankful that everyone made it. And I know that it's not the case for a lot of people that have gotten their injuries through a car accident. Um, we, we all are very grateful that we're all here, still here. I heard a similar story. A friend of mine who lives here in New Zealand, she was uh, in Canada and in the back of uh, a minivan with her friends asleep, same thing. And um, same scenario. There was a there was a truck on the um, oncoming, and I think they hit the truck or just glanced at it and then rolled down a massive bank. And wow. the only person that survived was my friend with a you know paralyzed from the sort of chest down. And so when she when she woke up, her her best friends were all dead from that. So man, it's pretty sobering to hear things like that. And I'm really happy that your um your family all survived and and uh, we were lucky that you know we were kind of in the middle of nowhere and um there was someone who was passing by because the the truck driver just continued never stopped they saw us on the side of the road and pulled over um and he was driving a suburban truck Mm. and took out the seats of his vehicle loaded us all in and took us to the nearest medical facility and then dropped us off there and disappeared we don't even we don't know who this person was so he he's saved us all wow oh man <laughs> yeah <laughs> so wow there's a lot there's kind of a lot to unpack there thinking about um your recovery what what was the you know so what happened what happened then so I was in a really like like I said we were in the desert somewhere um and so I the we were at a very small clinic without the medical help that I needed. Um, they told my parents, you know, we know she has a spinal cord injury. We don't have what she needs to help her here. Your best bet is to take her back to the states. And so we had family members that were here in this in the United States that were able to arrange for me to be um, airlifted from Mexico to the nearest trauma center, which was in Houston. Uh, Texas. And so I was there for about three weeks before I could even have uh, surgery on my spine because my spinal cord had, it was really swollen. Um, They had, I mean, they didn't know that I was injured. So they just, I wasn't bleeding or anything. So they just kind of pulled me out of the car and picked me up and 
you know, mm. yeah, it's supposed to move someone. And I, I think that, you know, that sort of did some damage. Yeah. So I was there for three weeks um, until surgery and, and I got stabilized and I was able to then be flown to Chicago where I did my uh, rehabilitation at the Rehab Institute of Chicago for about three months, very intense therapy from very early to the evening. And then um, after three months came back home and just tried to figure out what was next and try, I was in eighth grade um, and it was about April when I came back home. So my priority at that time was, you know, my friends in school and graduating middle school so that I could start high school with everyone. And that's basically what I wanted to happen. My school was very supportive. They made sure I had enough um, of the supports needed for me to come back Mm. and made that happen. But I mean, I really didn't do much of schoolwork, honestly. They, They were very lenient with me for so that I would be able to graduate and start high school with with my class. So I know it's a long time ago but can can you remember some of the some of the things that were going through your mind and how did you how did you navigate some of those um it probably probably had some dark times how, how did you get through those? Well, I was recently talking to someone about this that was also injured as a teenager and him and I were talking about how you know we we had so much support from friends and family and community that it didn't really register that maybe we were angry or maybe we were depressed until now that we look back on it as adults, that it was a really hard time. And it was like trying to figure out what the heck is going on with your body. First of all, um, trying to figure out your bladder and your bowel and, you know, what can you move, be, you know, being able to transfer, just ba- doing all those basic things. And then starting high school, which is a scary time in itself. For me, it was a lot of the thoughts that were going through my head was, um, you know, if the other kids would talk to me because I was in a wheelchair and if they would see me as weird or would I have a boyfriend or would my friends still talk to me or, um, and it was hard because, you know, kids go out and do stuff and just get in someone's car and go to the movies or, um, Mm. you know, things happen spontaneously and, you know, that wasn't as easy for me to do to just, you know, get up and go and, and hang out with friends and things like that. So presumably you were using a a power wheelchair at that point, or were you using Mm -hmm. a manual? I was using a manual until my junior year in high school because I was being stubborn and, you know, saying that I was able to do it and Mm -hmm. wanting to do it. Um, and then there was, they were providing a, a teacher aid for me at school. And finally, the uh, one of my teachers that was in charge of providing the aid said to me, I know you have a power chair at home and you've had it for several years and you just don't want to use it because, you know, how sometimes people just feel like they're more disabled if they have a power chair for some reason. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that, if you've heard that often um, from people, but that's how I felt. And so um, I was refusing to use one until he said, I'm not providing a teacher aid for you to take you to class or anything. Cause I know you have that chair, so you better use it next year. And he made me so angry to, you know, that he did that, but um, I started using my chair and I'm so glad that I did because I was actually independent and I could go wherever I wanted with friends, you know, 
to my classroom, to my locker and all of that stuff. And eventually to be able to learn how to drive and be independent in the community too, that is something that I wouldn't be able to do if I was using a, a manual chair. I work with a guy who's uh, C, I think C6 or C7, tetraplegic, quadriplegic. And yeah, for years and years and years, he, and, and even to this day, he, um, he didn't want to use a, a power chair and his shoulders are absolutely destroyed as a result. And, um, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of painful to see. I think he now uses a smart drive, which, which helps uh, quite a bit. But, uh, but I, I get the feeling that had he, had he used a manual chair, uh, sorry, a power chair earlier on, he would have uh, preserved his shoulders and, um, and probably, like you said, experienced uh, access in a whole new way. So yeah. It's quite interesting. But there is definitely a psychological thing around using a power chair versus a manual chair, and, and there's some advantages to having a manual chair over a power chair. You know, you can just, your friends can just throw it in the back of their car and, you know, all of yeah. those things. But by the end of the day, you guess you just got to figure out what works for you and what's best right. overall. It's not yeah, a- they need to design a, a lightweight uh, power chair. Yeah. That, that would be so, so great. <laughs> it would be good. I mean, there's now all sorts of attachments that, you know, the smart drive is one of them and, and all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, electric wheels that attach on the front of chairs. So, so there, I suppose there's some, some hybrid options. But, right, um, but I think you're right. The, the power chairs that I've seen or that I know about are, are really heavy and and uh, need a specialist vehicle and all of those sort of things to um, to transport around. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So okay, so high school, you're in high school, and and so what sort of things were you were you good at, and were you having thoughts about a career at this point, or um, what what did you did that change for you following your injury? Yeah, it. Did. Well, yes and no. I initially, since I was a child, I have always been artistic and creative and into art. Um, and I always knew I wanted to do something like within that field. Um, at, at the time of my injury, I was really into um, fashion design and that's what I wanted to do. And once I was injured, I, you know, I thought I wasn't going to be able to do that because I, you know, of being able to use my hands. And, um, also, you know, if I was going to be needing to, to sew, you know, a sewing machine is operated by a foot pedal. So I just thought that, you know, these weren't, that there would be these barriers for me to do that. Um, so I started looking at other options, um, maybe teaching, um, like elementary school or something like that which I thought might be fun too until I went to go observe a classroom. And then I was like, uh, maybe I don't want to do this. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, w- actually around the same time that, um, that I started using my power chair and um, in junior, the junior year um, in school, I met this teacher that ran the um, home ec program at our school and had like a sewing class, but also um turned it into more of a fashion design uh, program where they actually did a fashion show every year and the students were in charge of creating a collection and managing everything that went into this fashion show. And I mentioned to her that, you know, design, I wanted to do design, but that I could no longer do it. And I was being, you know, pouty and feeling sorry for myself. And she's like, oh, well, you can come to my classroom tomorrow. I have a sewing machine. 
that you can operate with your hands. So she said, come to my classroom during lunch tomorrow and I'll show you. And so I did. And yeah, she had this sewing machine that had a button right on the dash, like on the dashboard of it. And um, I could just push it and it would start sewing and I would push it the same button and it would stop sewing. And it had a mechanism that would cut the thread for me as well. And it had a bunch of other functions um, that I could use. And so I honestly probably did not go to lunch very often after that. I just would go straight to her classroom and she would help me to learn how to sew and and um, had me do a whole bunch of different projects. Um, and then she encouraged me to enroll in the fashion design program at the local uh, community college here, which is pretty well known for their program in fashion design. And I enrolled. Um, I was the first student uh, in a wheelchair to ever enroll in that program. And so they had a little bit of, you know, it took them a little bit to sort of figure out what I needed and asking questions and um, learning from me what how they could help me. Um, we had to lower tables and some of the like mannequins or dress forms had to be lowered. Um, and I also worked with an assistant during the class time and the lab time because that would they would help me, um, you know, cut fabric or gather materials or things like that, just so that I could um, have a better use of my time in the classroom and keep up with the rest of the students. Um, but yeah, they they learned a lot, I think, from having me there and having to learn to adapt things for students. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, in essence, you had a you know modified sewing machine, but also you know those assistants you know, acted as a essentially a bit of adaptive equipment to help you do the things that, that you, you couldn't do so easily. And it enabled your creativity to to take take form and, and um, enabled you to do that. I, th- I think it's, I mean, I think it's fantastic. Really, really cool. Well, what advice would you give to to others that are considering um, fashion or, or the arts as a career as a um, quadriplegic? Well, I think things are changing a lot recently. There's a lot of emphasis on designing for different bodies, designing for people with disabilities. And at the time, you know, a lot of people told me, you should design for people with disabilities. And everything that I saw out there was like Velcro, Velcro pants or like (laughs) <laughs> you know, stretchy pants or, you know, mm. that to me, I was like, I don't want to design for that. That doesn't look cool. Um, and so I stayed away from it for a long time. But I think, you know, people are talking about this now and talking about how, you know, we can look good and be in a chair and have fashionable clothing. And so I think it's, um, it's exciting to see that happen. And even though I'm not doing fashion design anymore, but I I would love to kind of explore designing for people with disabilities now. Yeah, I, I see I see that change too. You got Samantha Bullock in London that's that's working in that space. There's uh, I don't know if you've seen All Is for All. It's a New Zealand based fashion and disability model business. Uh, you're sort of seeing it springing up all over the place, and it's it's uh, it's great. You know, you've got kinetic balance in the Netherlands that are designing sort of outdoor clothing for, uh, for, for wheelchair users specifically. So 
yeah, it's, it's really cool. I, I still struggle pulling up my jeans and I've got ripped, ripped, uh, <laughs> ripped jeans at the back from where I pull them up and they don't fit quite properly. And yeah, it's one of those frustrations that, uh, that I think is quite common. Um, yeah. You know, and our skinny little legs don't look, uh, don't look good in big floppy pants. At least that's my experience. Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, you, you, in some ways you're at the, the mercy of the, the, the fashion trends at the, at the moment. Um, you know, there's these, you know, really little tidy sort of shorts that just don't suit me, you know, and, and trying to find something that, um, that, that fits my body, um, is, is quite difficult to find, but, uh, but I do see change like you mentioned. Yeah. It's exciting to see that and, and designers taking into consideration that, you know, almost like a design challenge for them. And I think that, you know, hopefully they see it as something exciting where they can, um, design, you know, with these new parameters of someone who is seated or someone who, who needs easier, you know, uh, like zippers or buttons and things like that. So one of the problems I suppose that people have, uh, put forward is, you know, cost and, and scale of production. What are your thoughts on, on that in terms of, uh, functional and fashionable clothing in this, in this space? Well, I see it as the same as, the concept of universal design where, you know, in architecture, where if it is something that is provided for all of the masses, it's not seen as an adaptive thing. And it's um, oftentimes it's something that's easier for everybody. And, you know, why not, why not, why not just start designing that way with those things in mind um more like universal design or one design that sort of philosophy right yeah yeah i get it that's it's a very good point with access and um architecture is a you know quite an obvious uh example of that where you can actually design so it's accessible for all but um um but you think you could do that for clothing i think so at least i mean not entirely for everyone's needs maybe but things that could make it accessible or easier for a majority. So, Rebecca, I guess we didn't really touch on this, but what, what um, you know, how would you describe your, your hand function and, and what restrictions do you, do you have? I am pretty typical of a C6 person with spinal cord injuries. So I have both my arms are pretty uh, similar in function. Um, but I'm able to move my wrist um, and do, but do not have any finger function or grasp. Um, I have very weak triceps, um, but I think I have pretty strong shoulders and biceps um, and very little bit in my core. So, Are there any sort of adaptions, uh, you know, aside from your wheelchair that, that you, you use regularly? Um, I have an adapted set of scissors that it's those kind of scissors that are like they have a spring on them but i have added to the bottom of it um, splinting material to make it a flatter surface so that i can stand it up on a table and as i cut you know the scissors will spring open and i could just kind of slide the scissors along as i cut i used to use utensils for eating um but i figured out a way to to uh use just the regular utensils um mostly because i hated taking them with me when i had to go to a restaurant or to school and you know sometimes i would try and pull them out and put them on and i dropped them and all of that so i just 
figure out a way to to not use them. But really, um, other than uh, my chair and like you know the scissors I use, um, you found out yeah. ways to to use most most everything else, just as yeah. anyone else would. That's cool. Yeah. So tell us a, a bit where your fashion fashion course took you. What what happened um, once you once you did that? Um, so I continued to um, to do fashion and then um, started doing theater and designing for costumes for theater and dance. And I did that for a while. Um, and at the same time, as I was doing that, I started um, doing a little bit of advocacy stuff and disability type taking on projects that were related to disability advocacy and um which i hadn't done you know before that and i sort of kept was very conscious of keeping the two separate and eventually i um let's see it was in 2008 when i went to a, a physical or a recovery center Uh, for people with spinal cord injuries and um, doing like uh, activity-based rehabilitation and those um, at Project Walk. I don't know if you've heard of them out in California. Um, So I went out there. I had came, I came across it online and was very curious to what this was about and started talking to a lot of people that were there. And um, a lot of people were saying how, you know, they had all these supports while they were in in rehabilitation. And once they went home, you know, things mm. got real and things that, you know, were harder. Um, and it was hard to find information and, and connection and peer support and, and just being connected with their communities. So it was something that just kind of stuck in the back of my mind. Um, and we started doing some fundraising so that I could fund me going there. Um, but people started thinking that it was a nonprofit organization. And as I, I was talking with my sisters and a friend of mine, I, I kind of realized how we could help other people and if we turned it into a nonprofit and we could help connect people one-on-one to find that peer support that was missing, you know, after, after they left rehabilitation and went home. I met this man here in Chicago. His name is Johnny Immerman, who founded an organization called Immerman Angels. Um, and they provide um, peer support, one-on-one peer support for cancer fighters and survivors. Um, they match them with someone who's, who's, um, you know, going through a, a similar type of cancer or, um, you know, or similar age and stuff like that um, so that they have someone to talk to. And so I met him and, you know, saw his model of how simple this model was just matching people up. And I thought this would have been awesome if I would have had someone to talk to when I was 13. You know, I Mm-hmm. I didn't really have any peer mentors. You know, I had family and friends, but there wasn't any other women or young, you know, younger girls too that I could have talked to and and sort of shared what I was going through. And that kind of sparked the idea of of how or of the mission of Backbones, which is the nonprofit that I started in um, 2009. And so at the time, like I said, I was, I was hesitant to start it as well, because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no experience in managing an organization or, you know, budgets and working with a board or any of that. Um, My background was all in the arts. 
And I didn't want to not have time to do that. And so I was a little bit afraid of of committing to starting this organization. Here I am 10 years later, and I'm still doing it. And I have found a way to make them both work and also intertwine them both so that I can, I'm able to use art to share a message and to be a voice not only for myself, but for the, the disabled community, I hope, as well. Oh, that's fantastic. What I love about Backbones, uh, so we'll put the links in the in the show notes, backbonesonline.com is the colors, really colorful. Um, <laughs> and I imagine you had a, a part to play in in that, um, so what was what was the what was the hardest thing about starting Backbones? The hardest thing was starting it was like taking that step initially, and I actually went back to that one uh, teacher that showed me how to sew, and I was in tears, and I was like, I don't know if I'm if I should do this, and she said, You're not going to lose your creativity. You're going to bring creativity to whatever you do, and that was. That was all I needed to hear. And I went home that day and I submitted all the paperwork um, to like the the IRS to, to incorporate it as a nonprofit. Um, and then, yeah, it was it was difficult at the beginning to sort of understand how everything everything worked. And there wasn't money for me to you know pay a lawyer to to do all the background paperwork or to file everything that I needed to file. And I just, I just did a lot of research and did it myself. And what I didn't know, I found people who did and I asked questions and I asked for help and people in general were very willing to help me and to, to guide me and, and help me get it going. And then, you know, along the way, it's been, it's been a struggle, especially at the beginning to, to get people to, to take you seriously as a small little nonprofit at the very beginning um, and to sort of believe in you. And, but I feel like people really like what we're doing now and, and really connect with, with the mission. And I think it's doing well now. So tell us a few things that you're proud of that Backbones has, has achieved since you started it. Um, I'm proud of, Staying connected with other organizations that are serving people with spinal cord injuries and people with disabilities. Um, from the very beginning, I didn't want to be another organization that would feel like I'm competing for an audience or I'm competing for donors or competing for this or that. Um, I, I really feel strongly about collaboration and working together and and serving um, I think serving the people that that we're trying to serve um, and not everybody's gonna like backbones and that's okay and if they need a different resource then I will refer them to to whoever they need to go to um, and if we can help someone then we will but um, I think I, I've done a good job I think of, of staying connected with other organizations that are around the same size as backbones and even some of the the larger organizations and um and just trying to keep the the community together and and build this network so that we can have a stronger community together 
What are some of the, the biggest struggles that your community faces? So the, the spinal cord injury specifically, what, what do they face um, that, that you have noticed? I think uh, the things, some of the struggles are, you know, the basic stuff, you know, where people are facing health issues, secondary issues to their spinal cord injury that sometimes prevents them from going to an event or from, you know, seeking out others. Um, And I think connection is super important, whether it's connecting with healthcare professionals, connecting with peers, um, with people that could be potential employers, with just with the community in general. And if you don't have access to that, you can really feel isolated. And I think that takes a toll on physical and mental health. So just having access to information, I think sometimes is difficult. Um, yeah. What about uh, what about funding and and you know finances? Is that is that, that that's a pretty obvious one, right? Yeah, that's that's one that I think is will always be there. You know, every, everyone's always that's always in the back of their mind. Funding and um, you know finding grants and our funding comes through grants and also through donations, um, individual individual donations and sometimes through events, either like a fee for an event or a fundraiser. Um, so I try and and have different different sources where we have revenue coming in. Um, but yeah, it's always a struggle to find funding for all the projects that I want to do. I feel like I always have ideas or our volunteers or board are like, oh, we should do this. And it sounds like a great idea, but sometimes there isn't funding for it. So that's always unfortunate that when we can't pull something off if there isn't funding. But I've no doubt that you you adaptify and find find ways around it, find um, find sort of life hacks to to circumvent that, right? Yeah. Um, I think we <laughs> We've gotten really, really good at making things happen and being resourceful. And that's like, and that goes back to the collaboration part. A lot of times we've been able to make things happen by collaborating with other organizations or, you know, seeing if community, for example, if we want to host an event, um, uh, currently we're, we're in the middle of a film festival and, you know, we were able to get all of the venues, all the space for the venues donated for, um, five different screenings for a film festival, which, you know, these are nice theaters and nice spaces that would probably cost us thousands of dollars to rent. But working with the community and, and figuring out ways to just be resourceful, we we make it happen. It sounds like you, you have a great team as well. And, uh, you know, looking at your board, some really dedicated board members too, which uh, which is a real credit to, to your vision, really. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. I am very thankful for all the people that give their time as a board member or a volunteer or a donor. Um, they all make it happen. Hey, Rebecca, what advice would you give your 13-year-old self? Um, hmm. you know, looking back at your 13-year-old self just after after your injury, what, what advice would you give? Stop caring what everybody else might be thinking about you and just – do what you want. Great. That's Great. what I would tell myself. Great advice. And, and your 13-year-old self, what would, what, would, uh, what would that 13-year-old think of you now? I, what would my 13-year-old self think of me today? Correct, like, yeah. Uh, okay. I think 
she would be proud of all the things that I've done and maybe surprised that that I started a nonprofit and didn't go down another another avenue. Um, I think she would have been surprised. I think the first point you made there, um, I think she'd be incredibly proud. So what does the future hold for, for you and what does the future hold for Backbones? For myself, I am working on setting aside more time. I'm hoping to set aside more time for myself to do um, some more art projects. I've been able to, um, in the past few years, been able to get different fellowships and residencies, artist residencies, and and some funding to do some of my personal art stuff. Um, so that's exciting for me to be able to have the opportunity to do that and to kind of see myself as an actual artist. You know, sometimes you kind of doubt yourself that you're if you're if you're good enough and you can actually call yourself an artist. And so it's been nice to have that that validation that I've been able to get these residencies. Um, And so I would like to continue to do some of that. And um, as far as Backbones goes, we are working on creating a spinal cord injury leadership program, which is something that I'm currently feeling very passionate about and um, just helping create leaders within our community um, and helping people that are newly injured, or even if they're not newly injured, but gain gain skills in advocacy and storytelling, public speaking, um, self-care, leadership styles. Um, So, and um, with the goal, like I said, to create leaders and to create people that can be in different communities around the country, around the world that, um, that are um, able to, to help our community and be advocates. Uh, It's fantastic. I I might introduce you to a fantastic organisation here in New Zealand called uh, Be Accessible, and I think they've just rebranded to Be Lab, and they do leadership courses like that. You you may be able to uh, you may be able to link in with them and and take away some learnings. They're quite successful, so I'll. Somebody just told me about them too recently when I was telling them about what my plans were. So yeah, I would love to be connected with them. Cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an email intro um, for sure. And so where can people find, find out about, uh, about your arts and, and about your, your personal journey as an artist? Is there anywhere particular that you share that um, online? So <laughs> initially I just uh, would start or would post some of my artwork on Instagram and it's uh, Rebecca RT. So my name is spelled R-E-V-E-C-A and then R-T. Um, that was the Instagram handle. But you are hearing this first before anybody <laughs> in the Yay. entire world. I recently, launched, <laughs> I recently launched a website for my art, but I have not shared it with anybody because, again, going back to that self-doubt where I'm just like, should I share this or should I not? But I will share it with you for the very first time. Yes. It is. Um, the, the address is just my name. It's RebeccaTorres.com. Wow, that's a great I'm, I'm fully exposing myself now through my website. Right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get this live as soon as possible so the world can <laughs> the world can see how, how great you are. <laughs> Thank you. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'll be I'll be sure to link that in. 
Uh, everyone listening, go and check out Backbones Online and RebeccaTorres.com. Um, and if you're interested in art, I suggest you reach out to Rebecca and uh, and link in and connect and share share your journey, share your aspirations, so that uh, you know you've got someone to uh, to share that with. Um, yeah. And uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for the work you you do and and continue to um, inspire others with uh, with your with your art and also with the community that you're um, you've built and continue to nurture. It's a really really amazing thing. Um, and thank you. We're uh, we're very very grateful as a, as a community. Um, I don't know if you'll ever come to New Zealand. I, I say this to everyone and I mean it wholeheartedly. If you, if you do end up in New Zealand, be sure to look me up and, uh, and I'll, I'll make sure that, uh, I link you in with some good people and, and, uh, show, show you, uh, some hospitality. So, so please, please, uh, please get in touch if you do find yourself down this way. And I'm going to take you up on that because I hope to go soon. i it's one of the places I've been wanting to visit for forever. So Great. I will definitely reach out. <laughs> Excellent. Well, please do. That's no, fantastic. I don't know when I'll be in Chicago, but I'll be sure to look you up uh, if I if I come come that way. All right. Well, um, hey, enjoy the rest of your your day. Um, thanks once again. It's been a pleasure no to have problem. you on the show. Yes, this was really fun. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.